living in the past where we relive our past by enjoying the pop culture of our youth. In this episode, we're dialing the clock back to 1984 to explore one of the most iconic films of the 20th century, The Terminator. Terminator was uh, directed by James Cameron. You might have heard of him. Uh, This science fiction classic, it not only redefined the genre, but it also catapulted Schwarzenegger into superstardom. So in this episode, we're going to delve into the creation of this, dare I say it, masterpiece from its initial conception to its impact on our culture. And so I think it would be safe to say that the first thing we need to talk about is James Cameron himself. And when he made The Terminator in the years leading up to its release in 1984, he was relatively unknown. Uh, He had a passion for science fiction. He had a background in physics. Uh, His journey uh, from working on, uh, he was working as a truck driver at one point to becoming one of Hollywood's most innovative filmmakers is pretty compelling stuff. It's as compelling as some of the things he even puts on the screen and, and his fascination with storytelling and of course his technical expertise, it led him to create some of the most memorable and technologically advanced films in cinema history. Avatar Way of Water came out recently uh, within the last uh, couple years and uh, it is phenomenal. Uh, Cameron as a director continues to push the envelope when it comes to technology But The Terminator came out in 1984, and at that point, there was only really one film under the belt of Cameron as a director, and that was a film I'm sure you've all seen, Piranha 2, The Spawning. It came out in 1982. Uh, You know, it's about genetically engineered piranhas that go on a feeding frenzy. We love that kind of stuff. But that was it. That was all that he had done up to that point. Kind of astounding to think about it. Where were you when you saw Terminator the first time? And I think for many, the Terminator was a film that a lot of people didn't see coming. And lo and behold, here it comes in the early, mid-80s. 1982 was a phenomenal year, but 84 has some classics. Ghostbusters is one, of course, Terminator. I love 84 uh, because of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But this was really the second film in his filmography. But let's talk about his filmography for a minute. Of course, he made Piranha 2. That was his initial directorial effort. Then he followed that up with The Terminator two years later in 84. Then the wonderful classic of Aliens in 1986. Of course, that was the sequel to Ridley Scott's film Alien that came out in 1979. We've done that on the show. Cameron's take on the franchise of the of alien uh, aliens it just added this really heavy action element to the horror that was foundational in the original and that combination just sent it into the stratosphere left orbit even i i mean it's unbelievable what aliens did to that ip and i think You can make an argument that Alien and Aliens is really what's sustaining the Alien franchise today, although I'm personally a huge fan of Prometheus. I know there's a lot of people that hate it. I loved it. I thought it was great, and I don't don't have that bad of a feeling for Alien Covenant, Ridley Scott's uh, sequel that's a prequel uh, to 
it's a sequel to Prometheus, a prequel to Alien, Aliens. Uh, you know, it's it's phenomenal. I love those movies. But they're not like cultural, like earthquake movies like Aliens was. And Aliens really changed so much in terms of, of storytelling. It's, its influence on pop culture is, I would say, as great as The Terminator is. Uh, it's phenomenal. So you have the Terminator, you have Aliens, uh, Aliens is 86. So at this point, he's making a film every two years, basically. Then he takes a little bit longer break, and in 1989, he releases really what's a box office bomb uh, called The Abyss. It, it might have not done what you would want to see if you're a studio head uh, in terms of monetary business, but I think The Abyss is phenomenal. And in fact, it's coming out this year, along with Aliens, on 4K, uh, the same can be said about True Lies. True Lies is coming out on 4K as well. Uh, to get Aliens, The Abyss, uh, True Lies on 4K on that premium uh, format on disc, uh, you know me. I love, love, love physical media. I have a problem. I have an addiction. And the thought that Aliens and The Abyss are coming, I've already pre-ordered them. comes out in March. Uh, but The Abyss is phenomenal, and it's often overlooked. I've done a video on the YouTube channel about The Abyss. Uh, of course, it was wrought with, with problems. There are people that are still angry about some of the things that happened during production. Although Michael Bean, who stars in The Terminator, he's also he's the villain in The Abyss. In interviews that he's conducted recently in the last few years, he said it was a, it was a fine experience. He didn't really have any trouble making the film. And so... Of course, reports vary on the abyss, but there were people pretty upset. Um, Ed Harris, uh, Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio, I think both did not enjoy their experience making that film. It's dangerous. He filmed it all in a big tank underwater. Uh, it's it's a pretty harrowing film. Uh, you see the first hints of what CGI is really going to become in the in the next decade in the abyss. Of course, he follows the abyss up with. Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, we'll eventually do that on the show. It's a sequel to the Terminator, obviously, and it's it's revolutionary in its use of CGI. And it really has, surprisingly, in this genre-type film, it has a lot of thematic depth. It, it explores issues like destiny, human nature, technology, same as really the Terminator itself, the original. Uh, so Terminator 2 was in 1991. So at this point, Cameron, as a director, has made Piranha 2, the Terminator, Aliens, the Abyss, Terminator 2, follows Terminator 2 up with True Lies. I really enjoyed it when I saw it in the theater. It didn't blow my mind like Terminator 2, The Abyss, and Aliens, and The Terminator did, but I really enjoyed it. It's a different type of film. It's funny at times. Schwarzenegger is really charismatic in it. I, I love me some Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Jamie Lee Curtis plays his wife. It it's really cool. It's a, good, it's a good film. And then, of course, following True Lies is this monumental picture, pun intended, called Titanic. And, of course, we know it's this historical epic. It's a romance set against the backdrop of the Titanic's um, ill-fated voyage. It's maiden voyage. It's known for – the film is known for its scale, its special effects. And at the time, it was the highest-grossing uh, film. Cameron then takes a – exceptionally long break from 1997 to 2009. 
uh, he doesn't make a film. And then in 2009, he makes Avatar, which breaks all the records. It pushes 3D technology. I, I was never really into 3D films. Just give me the old school... 2D stuff, 2D stuff, but when I saw Avatar in 3D, I, I was I was blown away, and it really used motion capture in, in ways that were believable. I think in the past, video games were doing some motion capture stuff, and you could tell uh, Avatar was a whole next level. And of course, he, Cameron, you know, around that time. Before 2009, he kind of follows that Titanic uh, success and and just the technology he was using to make the Titanic. He starts exploring the deep, and he was of course fascinated with it with the Abyss. But he got involved in projects that were documentaries, Ghosts of the Abyss, Aliens of the Deep. Uh, he got involved in something called the Deep Sea Challenge that was after after Avatar. So that was where he was he was interacting with technology filming underwater and you know he was making um these documentaries but playing with technology to 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 really be incorporated not only in avatar but its sequels and in the sequel to avatar avatar the way of water he returns to that subject of the deep of underwater deep sea environments and he made that film recently and that's where we're at there's another avatar film on the horizon uh, maybe a couple more uh, but Cameron is is a groundbreaking filmmaker. Uh, there are people that that you know say that he's not that great of a writer. I don't, you know, sure, I guess. Um, are there better screenwriters than James Cameron? Sure, I I don't know. I don't really think of it that way. I have found the stories that he tells to be compelling, the environments that he creates to be captivating, uh, the characters in his stories. Uh, he has always had unique characters, both men and women. Uh, I have found the heroes, the uh, the heroines in his films, like The Terminator and Aliens and uh, T2 and even True Lies, like the women characters of Titanic. Like they're always have been, I think, wonderful. And he's he's done a good job at writing really interesting characters. But I think what stands out to me is is the female characters that are in his stories are really iconic. I mean, Sarah Connor and Ripley just jump out to you uh, when you think of his work. And so Cameron is is a legend at this point. He, he doesn't need to make anything else. He's established himself. And he has made some of the best films of the 1980s, and you can argue some of the best films of the 1990s. Titanic won a ton of Academy Awards, catapulted Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet to supernova stardom. And uh, it's interesting to see what he's done for a lot of his actors in the film industry. But we're talking about The Terminator. This is before all of those things have come out, Aliens, The Abyss, so on and so forth. And at the heart of it, we have an actor named Arnold Schwarzenegger. And at this point, Schwarzenegger made, you know, a goofy film in the 70s. He had appeared in a phenomenal documentary called Pumping Iron about the Mr. Olympia contest, which really established him as a star. We've talked about him on other episodes. Specifically, uh, we've talked about Schwarzenegger on our total, like, total recall episode. And then we, of course, did Conan the Barbarian. We've done Predator. He is a favorite of this this show, this channel. And he had made to this point, 
some people say the Terminator is the star-making moment. I actually think that happened in Conan the Barbarian. There's a sequence. I've done a video on it. There is a sequence in Conan the Barbarian where I truly believe Arnold Schwarzenegger became a star. And uh, you can look that up on the YouTube channel and, and watch it. It's You'll know. You'll know it. Uh, when I start talking about it in the video, you're like, yeah, that's a pretty cool sequence. So, But you can argue that... If he, if the star was made in Conan the Barbarian, it was solidified in the Terminator. And what's what's awesome is that he is the villain. He is um, the the Terminator. He is this cybernetic um, creature sent um, back in time to kill Sarah Connor, who will give birth to John Connor, who will. Um, you know, bring about an end to this this AI, re, you know, revolution, rebellion that is taking place in the future. Schwarzenegger is amazing. And I know that, like, he's been caricatured so many times. He's laughed at because of his accent. I don't think of a better star of the 80s than him. I really do think he's charismatic. I really do think he's he was a great hero in film. Um, larger than life kind of figure. Uh, and um, he was able to do things with the skills that he had better than anyone. And he parlayed the gifts that he had, and he parlayed it into um, really mega stardom. And Schwarzenegger is a favorite, and the films that he has made, I think, are going to stand the test of time. And he's always pairing himself with great directors, and, of course, he makes several films with James Cameron. Uh, He makes... um, you know, he works with John Milius on Conan the Barbarian, uh, John McTiernan on Predator, uh, and The Last Action Hero. He works with great action filmmakers, great directors. Um, you know, of course, Paul Verhoeven and Total Recall was just a great pairing that I, I absolutely adore. The Terminator is... It was in the cultural zeitgeist in the 80s. It was a part of... of things there were so many knockoff films if you remember walking through a video store like a blockbuster or like a local video store there would be a number of terminator ripoffs uh they they were all throughout the 80s similar types of of you know storylines were trying to be told it was very similar in terms of uh, cultural impact Similar to Star Wars, where you see all these people trying to clamor to get that business that that Star Wars provided. And so it's interesting to, you know, you think about the Terminator, you think about its importance, you think about how did it come to be. Uh, it's interesting, Cameron said that he had, he was, he had a fever dream, really. And in the dream, he dreamed of this um, cyborg coming after uh, him. And he turned that into the Terminator. Uh, maybe that's true. Uh, maybe it's not. Writer Heron Harlan Ellison, uh, who wrote a story, a short story, uh, and an episode script for The Outer Limits that was titled Soldier, uh, sued Orion um, Films. And Orion Films settled in 1986, this, um, I guess, this lawsuit, and gave Ellison an undisclosed amount of money and later gave him acknowledgement credit to later Prince of the Terminator. 
essentially the story of the soldier was very, very similar to um, to the Terminator. Uh, it, it's it was um, Ellison. Inter- it's interesting. Ellison wrote two stories for the Outer Limits. the The first was called Soldier. I, when you when you see it, I've seen it, uh, and when you read the synopsis, it's you know, it's interesting. It, it, the story is eighteen hundred years in the future. There are these two inf- infantrymen that are fighting on the battlefield. A random energy weapon strikes both, and they're hurled into a time vortex, um, and they go back in time. And one protects a woman; the other one tries to kill a woman. Uh, has some similarities and uh Cameron didn't like it he denied Ellison's allegations he was opposed to the settlement uh, he of course non-disclosure stuff he can't really speak about it uh he was at a convention for Terminator 2 and he basically said for legal reasons I'm not supposed to comment on Ellison's lawsuit but it's a real bum deal. I had nothing to do with it, and I disagree with it. So Cameron was really against that, but when you do see this, the, the story synopsis or when you watch it, when you watch Outer Limits, and it's sometimes floating around on YouTube. You can probably track it down. Uh, it's called Soldier Outer Limits. Uh, yeah, you're like, okay, <laughs> I can kind of see this happening. Um, regardless, the Outer Limits doesn't have near the impact culturally that the Terminator does. And it's quite extraordinary what the Terminator ends up doing to the culture. And let's go back. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dig into the film, talk about what makes it so cool and memorable and unique. And we'll be right back after this break. So it's in Los Angeles, California. A Terminator cyborg arrives from the 21st century you know, way, way, way in the future, and attacks a group of young delinquents for their clo- clothing. You remember this opening, and Bill Paxton is one of the, uh, Bill Paxton's one of the the bad guys. Of course, he appears in Aliens and in True Lies. He has a, God, he has a great uh, character in True Lies, as he does in Aliens. Hudson is super memorable. Uh, but these punks are hanging out, and of course, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator comes back in time and, um, you know, takes these guys clothes and he's walking around in the buff uh, around that time Kyle Reese a soldier from the future arrives through the same uh, kind of the same portal it has this like atmospheric disturbance disturbance but his arrival attracts police and I don't know about you but those two things happening at the beginning the cyborg coming uh, term- the Terminator coming and just like taking these like ruffians out right at the beginning of the film violently uh, takes takes their clothing and Kyle Reese arriving I remember the first time I saw it I did not see the Terminator in the theater I saw it a year later on HBO and it was you know I think it was summer and I was watching it late at night and when I saw those two things back to back I mean I knew because people at school were talking about the Terminator I kind of knew what it was about but of course, hearing it and seeing it is two different things. And so when I when I saw it, I was just captivated. It is such a captivating beginning. There's a mystery to it. I always feel like mystery, if done appropriately, can really engage an audience. Um, it, it drags them into a story quickly and makes them want to know what happens next. And of course, mystery can be 
misused. Uh, I think um, there are several times, I think, in recent memory, J.J. Abrams has misused mystery, whether it's his TV show Lost or even his uh, the Force Awakens and, you know, um, The Rise of Skywalker. I, I feel like he can misuse mystery, but if done correctly, like Cameron does here, it draws you in so rapidly. And he does that with these two characters being introduced. And Kyle Reese, just like, Michael Bean is wonderful. And I almost feel like there's a different, in a different timeline, a different reality, Michael Bean is like a megastar because he was so approachable as an action star. He was believable. He was someone that you could get behind and believe in. And I really like that about about Michael Bean. He also plays a great villain if you think about a movie like Tombstone and he plays Johnny Ringo. Uh, but that that those two things happening right off the bat, where Kyle Reese he arrives, the cops see him. He's he goes into a clothing store. He's like evading the cops. Uh, he gets on contemporary clothes, and then he then he steals the police rifle and looks through a telephone directory for the address of Sarah Connor. And you know, Termin- the Terminator. It's this juxtaposition. It's bouncing back and forth between Kyle Reese and the Terminator because. Arnold goes in, he steals a car, robs a gun shop, gun shop, he gets several automatic weapons, and he, too, goes to those ancient, archaic documents known as phone books and finds a listing for Sarah Connor in the telephone directory. And it's, there's this, Cameron does such a great job, doesn't he, where he builds the suspense because, you know, the Terminator goes and he kills the first two Sarah Connors in the, in the directory, and um, as an audience, we're like, well, Sarah J. Connor is the next victim. Um, and, and knowing that, um, the police see what's going on. They make these connections. Uh, poli- a police detective, Hal uh, Vakovich, he def- telephones her apartment, leaves a, apartment and leaves a message. Um, but Sarah is, is introduced as a waitress. She's just young, making her way in Los Angeles. And she has a roommate. And uh, her roommates Ginger and her boyfriend's Matt. You like they're character actors. You've seen these these characters before in other '80s films. But the Terminator, in one of the early like kind of harrowing, like disturbing moments, is that um, Sarah goes out. She goes out for a night on the town, and the Terminator goes in and thinks that Ginger is Sarah and kills ginger then he beats he beats the hell out of the boyfriend matt and then kills ginger and he hears um sarah's voice on a phone and realizes that he killed the wrong people and that the intended victim is still at large sarah of course is creeped out because someone's following her and that's kyle reese so it's this well-constructed and crafted early portion of the film that listen like it's not easy what Cameron is doing here if it was easy we would see films like this all the time but he introduces a really unique concept really new characters there's mystery there are stakes involved uh the filmmaking is is really good I mean it it, uh, in terms of like uh cinematography it's just well made and we get to this really exciting moment where there's a kind of a, a a showdown in the in Technor, this club where the Terminator tries to kill Sarah, but Kyle um, 
rescues her, shoots the Terminator multiple times with a shotgun, and they get away sort of. The Terminator comes to life, and it's just, it's a great sequence. It's a great, you know, moment. And that early structure of the film, I think it makes it a classic. I think there were so many imitations in the 1980s doing their damnedest to try to like imitate it and they just don't they can't do it and so the terminator there's a reason why it is good and it's just the structure of the story it's it's completely engaging and we haven't talked about linda hamilton she is phenomenal as sarah connor and of course she's really well known for terminator 2 and kind of getting buff and becoming a you know a, a tough warrior um and really the heroine of, of terminator 2 she's equally interesting here there is a innocence that's sort of like damaged through this event of the terminator trying to kill her there's like considerations of like her purpose and like who is kyle and not trusting kyle and you know there's this really interesting moment where kyle like calms sarah down because she's hysterical. What's happening? This guy's trying to kill me. This other guy's shooting him, and the guy gets up. So Sarah's hysterical. Kyle, calm, Kyle calms her down and then explains that, like, hey, I was sent from the future uh, to come back and and help you and keep you safe because your son will save humanity. Um, it's really a mind job, right? And um, she, I think if Linda Hamilton doesn't act as well as she does, it comes across really poorly. And of course, Cameron's getting these performances out of these actors, but really, you know, Michael Bean and, and Linda Hamilton play so well off of each other. There is chemistry. You believe that in this short amount of time, they do care about each other. And there's a vulnerability in both characters. There's this desperation in both characters. It works. It might be because for me, it works, because I was young when I saw it and it's easier to believe in performances. I think when you're adding nostalgia to it, I'm curious what you guys think about that, but I've always overlook maybe deficiencies in films because of the time that I saw them. And, and of course I saw this when I was, uh, you know, pretty much in junior high school and it just left this big impression on me. And there's these series of chases and escapes and it's the film's exciting and Arnold is just amazing. And of course we always think about the, the sequence where uh, Arnold goes into the, uh, you know, the police station. You, you think, you know, of course she's, you know, she's in the police station. She's safe. No, she's not. And it might be one of the best sequences in the movie where, Arnold has the famous line, I'll be back, and ran runs the car through the front of the police station and then goes on a killing spree. It's freaking awesome stuff. And that's the one that's one of the things that makes the Terminator so great is just the action in it is is so unbelievably compelling and so well choreographed, designed. Um, it's just engaging stuff. And you have all that happening. You have flashbacks that are, you know, with the low budget that the Terminator had. Cameron does some of these flashbacks that are not bad. It's not bad for 1984. And of course he ups the ante in, in Terminator 2 in 1991. But really there's some amazing stuff. And it just shows you 
sometimes having less, you're able to pull off some really unique things. And there's a couple sequences where Kyle is is reflecting on his life in the future. And uh, I think they're well designed. They're well done. They give context to to Kyle Reese as a character that I think is great. Um, it's it's good stuff. And I think we're as as people that love stories. I think we, one of the types of stories we find con- so compelling is like a post apocalyptic story. I think that's why The Walking Dead was so successful. I think that's why we were just enamored with these types of stories. And, uh, you know, there's even an Apple show. I think they're calling it Silo, but it's based on the novel Wool um, by Hugh Howley. It, it's really good stuff, but it's the same idea. It's like this post-apocalyptic uh, storyline. And, uh, you know, you think about the Terminator, and it's just, it's doing this the best that, mo- like of any of the films of the 80s, it's, it's telling this type of story in a very unique way by utilizing time travel. Um we have an interesting sequence where you go from really from that police station attack all the way to the end. It's just pretty relentless. And we get to this kind of climactic moment where, (laughs) where, you know, Kyle and Sarah are trying to get away from the Terminator in a rig. And they're in this like little lame, um, you know, vehicle truck. And they, they of course um, can't really outrun it, but, Kyle's able to use a pipe bomb. He, he crashes the truck. The truck explodes. They think they're out of it. And then probably one of the biggest thrills for me when I saw the movie the first time is when all the flesh is burned off the Terminator and he comes out of the flaming vehicle uh, to kill them. It is truly a horror trope, but it's done so excellently. And I think the Terminator has this great blend of sci-fi horror action suspense it's just so blended well together and as they go into this kind of final showdown kyle sacrifices himself seriously damages the terminator but it's still coming and they go into this like weird factory where there's these hydraulic presses um but basically sarah is able to get into one of these get through a hydraulic press the terminator falls her in and she crushes it and um we see you know the end of the film we see Sarah is going out into the into the Mexican desert, and she's pregnant. Um, Kyle and Sarah slept together, so she's pregnant with with John, uh, who will come to save the world. And she gets her picture taken, and we find a cool revelation at the very end of the film that the picture that uh, she takes there, she goes out into the desert, was the picture that Kyle Reese carried with him um, throughout the movie. Um, or throughout the, the the flash forwards into the future when he's looking back on his life. Um, it's interesting that at the end, the boy, this boy at the gas station warns Sarah Connor of the storm on the horizon, but Sarah goes right, right into it. It's a cool ending. Um, it's a great movie. And if you haven't watched it in a while, it's worth going back. We're in, we're in 2024. It came out 40 years ago. This is the 40th anniversary year of the Terminator. It's pretty exciting to think about. Uh, Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do There Can Be Only One. There can be only one. All right. It's always hard when you do There Can Be Only One to to narrow a movie like The Terminator down saying this is the best thing. But that's what we do on There Can Be Only One. We we pick the best scene. It could be a moment. It could be a character. It could be music. It could be 
anything, what's the single best thing about the Terminator? I narrowed it down to five things. They're kind of scenes, but there's also one that's a line. So uh, there's four scenes and a line, basically. Um, Let's start with the line. I, I think I'll Be Back is so culturally um impactful uh it's one of the i think it might be schwarzenegger's most quoted line uh and it's one of the biggest like people still quote that crap today and we talked about it recently on our um best quotes of the 80s episode uh schwarzenegger does i mean he schwarzenegger wanted to say i will be back he thought that was more robot like but cameron was like no you're going to say, I'll be back. And Schwarzenegger did it, and the rest is history. So that's one. Uh, it does lead into another one I have on the list, and that's the police station assault. I think it's the police station assault really showcases the Terminator's like unstoppable nature. Uh, and I, I really feel like that assault, the scene is both terrifying, it's mesmerizing, um, it's this great blend of action and horror as they try to, Sarah and Kyle try to navigate their way out of the police station while Arnold is just killing everybody. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, so I'll be back as one. The police station assaults another one that I thought of that could be, there can be only one. I do think the arrival where the Terminator and Kyle arrives from the future, I think those are iconic. I think it's a great way to start the film. It really sets the stage for the central conflict. It's really these two guys are going at it, or the Terminator and Kyle are going to go at it. So I love that. So we got the arrival, police station saw, I'll be back. Those are three that I thought about for There Can Be Only One. I have two others. I have the final confrontation. It's the climax of the film. It's in the factory. Kyle sacrifices himself. Sarah Connor really becomes the heroine we've been waiting for at that point. I, I think it's not only thrilling, but it it shows her transformation. And and say what you will about Cameron, he's able to like show character progression. His characters are memorable. They're they're memorable for a reason. It's because they there's a there's a transformation. There's growth in these characters. They change, and I love that about the final confrontation. It's more than just action. It's saying something about Sarah and her transformation. Um, and, and it also says a lot about Kyle, what he's willing to do. Uh, it's really good stuff. So that's my fourth. And then my fifth is the Tech Nor, the club that they're at, at at the early part of the movie, first, you know, kind of first and second act of the movie. It's really the first major confrontation between the Terminator, Sarah, and Kyle. And it, it's great when when the Terminator's going through the, the club and everybody's dancing and he's scanning looking around and, and there's she leans over to pick something up he misses her at first but he catches her when he comes back around it's really suspenseful um you realize like oh sarah is really important and then you see what kyle does to try to get her out of that situation those are the five things that i think are the the, the best of the terminator and i'm sure you guys the soundtrack's pretty cool i mean there's some good stuff in it of those five, I, I, I bet you're going to be surprised. My favorite thing about the Terminator is the Technor gunfight. I actually think it's it's Cameron's best, like, those, I, I think it's about an eight-minute scene. Those minutes are, like, some of Cameron's best early in his career. He blend suspense and action and really just this horror he does the same thing later in the in the police station assault but 
I think because this is an earlier scene, you realize the stakes, you realize what the Terminator can do. Like he's kind of unveiled really for the first time of his capabilities. It's It just takes the film to a whole other level and it just propels the film forward at a like breakneck pace. And I love that about Technor. And for me, that's the... That's the single best thing about about the film. It's my favorite thing about it. I can watch if that's on. I'm stopping what I'm doing and I'm watching it. It's that kind of a scene, and really almost all of the scenes of the Terminator is kind of a stop and watch. Oh, it's this moment. I'm going to watch it. You know, and that's that's the beauty of the Terminator. It's hard to believe it's 40 years ago. Um, we are at the 40th anniversary of the Terminator. I'm curious what you think. Uh, you know, let me know. You can find the email uh, on. Uh, the the page for this podcast, but I, I'm super curious what people out there think, um, and and I'm sure we'll get some comments on the YouTube uh, channel when we post this episode. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll we'll close out the show and talk about what's on the next episode. All right, we're back, and so just a couple of announcements as we as we end. We have the. Patreon only episode called What You Talking About. It's going to be all about fashion of the 80s. I'm sure you're dying to hear that episode. And if you are, go to patreon.com forward slash living in the past to figure that out, find that out, uh, support the show, support what we're doing. It's it's a lot of fun. We, we got a ton going on in YouTube this month. We are going to release an episode on um, Starship Troopers and fascism. I know that sounds like just a load of fun, but it's actually really interesting stuff. And if you love Starship Troopers, uh, the Paul Verhoeven 1997 film, you might want to check it out. Uh, Yeah, we're on Facebook, but who cares, right? Um, There's a Facebook page. I don't post anything, but if you want to join, you can, I guess. I don't know. I don't go there anymore. But there's a Facebook page. It exists, and, and you might be able to interact with other people that don't like Facebook, too. Um, our next episode, and we're, we're actually debating it. Uh, the next episode, probably, and I'm saying probably, it's, it's mainly because I don't want to do it, but I have so many people asking me to do this, is I think we have Forrest Gump coming on the horizon. It's time. I hate the movie, but it is the 30th anniversary of Forrest Gump. Can you believe it? 1994, it came out. Uh, so that is on the, if it's not our next episode, it's coming soon. We've talked about Stargate as well, another 1994 movie, uh, and we've talked about Pulp Fiction. So those are all kind of potential shows on the horizon. I'm going to plead with Devin here to not do Forrest Gump, but I think he's going to overcome um, my my ruling and, and veto it, and we're going to be doing Forrest Gump next. So keep an eye out. We'll be back in about two weeks. <laughs> If you're interested in hearing more of us, you can go on over to patreon.com forward slash living in the past, L-I-V-I-N-I-N the past. As always, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.